So for today, I am going to um, go through my initial reaction of having read about two-thirds of the book on um, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And I'll probably refine it and return back to it. But I felt it was good to capture my initial thoughts um, on this book here. And I approached it with, um, you know, to test and keep what is good, according to First uh, Thessalonians, that th there will always be something that we can take. We don't have to despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. And there are some things that were good. There are some things that did speak to me. The list of symptoms of being hurried and there's a list of about 10, really raised an awareness of the problems that come from being hurried, such as irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, emotional numbness, and isolation. And there was a moment in the beginning where he calls out the original sin, capital O, original sin, as the source behind our busyness, which was to be like God, which was how Satan tempted um, Eve in Genesis 3. However, at some point, he begins to frame what the problem is. And as with the case with framing problems, if you frame the problem inadequately, the solution will also be inadequate. And I feel that there was a, an, a point where framing the problem around hurry may have actually slightly missed the fullness of the opportunity to talk about what he's really trying to, to, to get at. And so it's, it is true. It is a problem. It is absolutely relatable. I and mean, he talks about how hurry gets in the way of things such as love and joy. And in fact, it reminded me of a, a study which they made where they looked at, and I can't remember exactly uh, who the audience was, but they, they set some uh, a study where they looked at people and they you know had meetings with certain people and they forced them to be late. And along the way, they had somebody who was uh, in, in, in search of help. And I don't remember what the nature of the help was. But they had the control group of those who weren't hurried, uh, and then they had people who were hurried. And they would all have to go past the same person who needed help. And those who were in, hurry, in a hurry, uh, a greater percentage would not bother to help the person than those who weren't in a hurry. So, so it's clear, hurrying is, is a problem. But I think the turn that gets made that, that raised questions for me of whether the problem is framed right and set my expectation to believe that the solution, therefore, will also not be right was when it really focused in on, on, on a quote from, from Dallas Willard. I mean, I think the details was he has a mentor and this mentor had sought uh, the, the answer to a question from from. Willard. And I think the question itself actually posed a problem. But the, the answer certainly did. And here was the answer according to this book. It says, um, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, and something didn't really sit right with me. Something didn't really seem to feel like the right that's the right answer. That's not the right framing 
of the great spiritual affliction. And perhaps it's because I, while reading this, I happen to be in the middle of reading uh, Romans, but to me it seems like missing an opportunity to be very clear that the great affliction to our spiritual life isn't hurry, but it is sin. And, 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 and to miss that opportunity weakens the solution. You see, I, I, I think when we read through Romans, the debasement of the mind and all the problems that are very sinful, from slander, envy, covetousness, malice, murder, it, he, he starts that with a failure to honor respect, thank, and acknowledge God. And that is what led to God giving them up to a debased mind, to, as Paul says, to do what they ought not to do. And that set up a concern in terms of that is the right framing, is whether it is hurry or whether it is sin. And I and I believe sin is the affliction that we must focus on and think of to re to 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 turn away from and to rid. And he was heading in the right direction, but I think a much stronger case is made that the desire to be a god which he did hit upon to idolize yourself or idolize creatures as in Romans 1, is a much stronger problem statement that we all have and ought to share. See, hurry isn't really listed in any one of those. And I think there's a good reason for that. While being hurried can come from perhaps some of those. If you are greedy, you could be hurried. But 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 it, when, when you read it in the light of the types of sins that he talks about, heartless, ruthless, faithless, foolish, haughty, boastful, disobedient, a slanderer, deceitful, malicious. Those are things which actually are underneath the hurried. And, there, and, and if we focus on hurried, there are some people who are very calm, and yet they have those things. And, and so I, I think it might be focusing in the wrong area it actually becomes more clear when he starts to name the solution. Now, at first I thought, well, at least he's in the right direction. There must be some tying in. When he says, well, the answer is Jesus. And we know how clear that is when it's sin. Jesus is the answer to that sin. But when he starts describing the yoke and it's what is going to relieve us from busyness, that's when I started to realize, I believe we're going to be set up for a less powerful Jesus in our life. He refers to Matthew 11, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And already he start, you can see how he's setting it up that, well, Jesus somehow has a yoke from which you will have rest. And that rest is from the labor, which is the busyness of our lives. And I, I skipped 
I read through further, and, and that is the thesis that he threads through. But the questions, more questions are raised than answered. Because what, what is it exactly that Jesus is offering the form of this yoke? Now, he says, well, the yoke is learning. And, and there is some case where the yoke is referring to uh, 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 that which is worn by the rabbi. And therefore, if you learn from Jesus and he has his lifestyle, then he lists four of these disciplines, including sort of um, solitude and prayer, um, and, and saying, well, look at the lifestyle of Jesus. And if you follow the lifestyle of Jesus, then from there, you will be relieved of this busyness. And that made it more clear to me that that, that is perhaps not the problem to solve because it's describing a different solution for the same Jesus. What do I mean by that? I, I believe that what is lighter and what is the burden is actually not work. This burden that I believe Jesus relieves us from and that we ought to seek and is in fact what causes the hurriedness is the burdens of trying to justify ourselves. That is this burden. And, and to me, that, that feels more, I don't know, uh, connected with how Jesus speaks later on. So in Matthew 23, 4, he says, and he ta- he's re- referencing the Jewish leaders. He says, the spirit, the religious leaders, he says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. To me, the burden that Jesus is best suited to free and had come to free us is the burden of the law, the burden that the religious leaders of the time had placed on other people to use their own works to self-justify themselves. It's far more powerful to say the burden that he comes to free us from is the burden of the law. That without him, we are going to need to justify ourselves. And it is impossible. And we know it is impossible. And therefore, receive God's wrath and we will never be with him. That is a far greater burden than busyness. Busyness is every day. And we see it. And it is a hassle. And it does cause problems, and it does get in the way of love. But, but the burden that Jesus really has come, and I almost feel it trivializes him to say it's anything else, is the freedom from us needing to work our way back into God's grace, and through faith alone, through grace alone, and through Christ alone, we are justified. That is so much more powerful. And to me, it makes a lot more sense because right before that, right before he talks about this, which isn't really referenced, but he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. That is a very meaty statement. If he was just talking about lifestyle and to follow his teachings of spiritual disciplines, he he actually wouldn't need to, to say this. This authority to be known by God through him and 
all these things are handed over by God to Jesus is an enormity. It is it ultimately sets up why Jesus alone can take that burden because of his um, knownness and perfection in the Father. And to miss that, you, you really almost don't need this statement. And to me, when you go even further, one more p- passage earlier, what is he talking about? He's talking about cities which have failed to um, repent. And, and to me, once we put those together, it, it can't be about our busyness of our lives, but it's about the burden that we will need to face. Now, th- does that mean the rest of this is, is not essential? And No, I, I don't think that's the case. I think busyness is part of it. Following the lifestyle certainly can't be wrong. But to me, the easiest yoke, the easiest burden to bear is the one where Christ carries the weight all upon himself. He doesn't do that with my life here on earth. He, he can't take the weight of the toil that I'll have. No amount of following the spiritual disciplines will do that. And so it doesn't actually feel as empowered. On the other hand, the sin and my need to justify myself with any effort on my own, he takes away completely. And so in that regard, his burden is comparatively lighter. That yoke will be much lighter and a much more powerful story for Jesus, for what the yoke is, and ultimately an opportunity to connect the gospel. Now, the intermediate part is, but what about the busyness? What about the hurriedness? And I think that that really is the area that could have been explored much deeper. If we link all the bad behaviors, all the things that get in the way of joy and love to sin, I think then we are able to then plumb much deeper. And what is the great two sins, or the greatest sin, I guess, or the greatest commandment, is to love God with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And Nobody does does that. The only person to have ever walked the earth to have done that completely was Jesus himself. Secondly, it, it certainly gets in the way of, of, of loving. Because we're not loving, we end up being we end up hurrying or having the symptoms of hurrying. So so I, I think many of the things that lead to hurry do come from sin. And we have to talk about what the reaction, what the repercussions are, and to me, the the parable of the sower gets us much closer. If you look at the thorns, the thorns, what what are the things which choke the word, and that that can't possibly a good be a good thing. For those for whom the word has been choked, they are not going to produce good fruit. And the two things are uh, the deceitfulness of riches. And cares or worries of this world. And if I looked at that, isn't that, aren't those two often what really makes us busy? We desire more, which is the riches. We desire more. We want to earn more. 
who want to achieve more, and the worries of the world, the health of our children, their education, their futures, our financial situation, those worries keep us busy. And so I feel that that would be a much stronger case because the what's at stake is much higher. It's very loose to me to sort of say, well, uh, hurry is sort of affecting your spiritual life and it gets in the way of love and joy. But it's far bigger if it's, well, what is getting in the way is choking the word in you by succumbing to this hurriedness and by succumbing to the busyness or literally choking up that which can lead to abundant life. So as I read it, I was felt the weakness of the over-argument became very clear towards the end of the second part as I started to get into the third section, which went through the spiritual practices, and I, I skipped through that just to put this recording out. And he writes, All the best stuff is in the present, the now. And I don't think that that is leading people in the right direction. Your best life now is not going to be the best. And I think when we have that focus, it does a disservice to those who are maybe suffering but they are able to find joy because it's Jesus is not a guru who provides a lifestyle. He's the one who takes our sin and holds it and takes upon that wrath. And that is where joy comes from because it is a desire to be closer to God forever that can allow us to push through the, the difficulties of the present. So if I had to think about how I would resolve it, how Jesus is not just a lifestyle guru, uh, the first would be, as I, I had said, it's to turn away from those sins and, and looking at and desiring to have uh, and identify those areas where there's a deceitfulness of riches and there are worries of the world. And, and looking at Jesus's telling of that, that, that parable of the sower, and, and really confessing and owning those areas and eliminating those and, and seeking ways to turn from them. The second one I would say is to run the race and run the right race. Uh, here Paul talks about the race. And he says, do you know not... Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I, I, I think a way to deal with so-called hurriedness is to run the race. And you would see, well, wait a minute, can't someone be hurried in a race? And I would say the difference is you're running the right race. You're pursuing a wreath that is eternal, and that may involve discipline, and that may involve sacrifice. 
that may feel hurried in his sense of not having leisure time. But I believe a far greater urgency and a far greater reward of a full life is running the right race for the right prize. And then the last one relating to this is, you know, what is it that we're building? And, 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 and again, I, I don't know if the right dichotomy is hurried versus unhurried. I think it's building what will last. And, and, and Paul again later talks about there are things that we will build and they're going to be built of precious metals or they're going to be built of straw. Some will burn in that, uh, in the fire and, and, and others will survive. And I think that's a far different, far more urgent message for us to spend time on is what is it? It's not just the race and the crown and the wreath that is eternal. It is the things that we build and for which we will be rewarded. And you know, if that involves feeling hurried, meaning I don't have a lot of leisure time, but I know that it lasts, I feel that's directionally a stronger place to be. Yes, you need to avoid burnout and you need to avoid some of these other things, but that's a second order effect. I think the first thing is it doesn't matter. I've met people, I've met pastors who are very leisurely, always do the Sabbath plenty like almost like wonder I almost wonder boy how many do they get of sabbaticals but not once hearing the actual gospel what is being built when that is the case you know I as a final thing I tried to always test if there's something to learn, if there's something that I need to take away that is good, again, going back to First Thessalonians, is what I'm learning have power or is it draining the power of the cross? And believing that it's a way to take away my busyness and as a result of taking away that busyness, that is the, the means to love and joy. I don't know if that yoking to Jesus as a lifestyle of more time, more prayer, more solitude is going to meet the stress test for me. I, I think it could make it work out for a more enjoyable, peaceful life. But when the storms come, I test myself. If I have a child who is sick or dying or dead, if I'm saying, Jesus, your yoke is me to have more time on the Sabbath and more solitude, I don't think it holds much power. It drains it. If I instead say, no, Jesus is not a lifestyle guru, but he is one who is perfect who came and took upon the wrath for all of my sins. And as a result of that is to spend the time to know God and to be with God in his kingdom. That feels like power that can get through the greatest stresses of the life beyond just being busy. 
see, I relate to how he opens the story about how having kids does make you hurried. You have to go to doctors for interest schools or eventually you have to start driving them places to places. But that, if I ask myself, is the solution to that problem going to really be the answer when I have a real problem? Sickness or death? I don't think so if the yoke is lifestyle and spiritual practices. Being hurried in that light, honestly, is the least of my concerns. And when I pull back and realize that for them and for me, the wages of death and to be find the freedom and in this yoke, which honestly, it's a heavy wooden thing you carry on your back, one cannot help but believe that it is a shadow of the cross. I feel a much stronger I don't know, argument would be made if that lightest burden of all is to pick up our cross and follow Christ.